Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. God has impeccable timing. And it's always better than my timing. God has impeccable timing. He doesn't miss a beat. He shows up at the right time, in the right place, and in the right way. And I can guarantee you in my life that has never been when I wished for it to be. (laughs) But he has impeccable timing. And I also think that God has almost a sense of humor with this at times. I've told the story before, and I just, it, 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 it makes me smile every time I think about it. When I was 15 years old, I started praying for a CJ7 Jeep. And I prayed for that CJ7 Jeep. And I prayed for that CJ7. I turned 16, and I was still praying for that CJ7. And if you don't know what that is, then I'm sorry. You haven't experienced life if you've never ridden in a CJ7. I didn't say it was great, a great ride. It's just, it gives you a new <laughs> healthy dose of what, of how precarious life is if you've ever driven in a CJ7. They quit making them because they rolled over quite a bit. But I prayed for this. It was the, it was the car I wanted. It was the car of my dreams. And instead I drove a faux wood paneled station wagon it was the suburban of my generation or the Yukon of my generation. That was, that's what I drove. Um, and, then, and then a Caprice Classic, which, I mean, was legit, but it wasn't a CJ7. God answered that prayer eventually. But not only did I get a red CJ7, I got a wife. Because that's what Laura drove when we got married. Uh, So so God has a sense of humor. She's not laughing about that exchange. (laughs) She got the raw end of that deal. But his timing was impeccable. I know it's silly. I think God did that just kind of as a wink. I think it was, I promise you, I didn't marry her for the Jeep. I promise you that wasn't in the deal. But I just think that God sometimes, his timing is hilarious. And sometimes he does things that we don't even need, but he just does it to say, you know what? I got you here. The problem is too often, as I said last week, we get ahead of his pace. (laughs) And we try to manufacture it ourselves. And we try to push and strive and make it happen ourselves. And when we do that, we miss out on what he is going to do and what he wants to do. And so today we're going to look at this next part of David's life when he becomes king and he finally comes face to face with the Philistines for the first time as a king. Now, if you know the backstory and if you've been following this sermon series, you know that at one point David was living under the rule of Saul. And Saul was his 
mentor. It was his friend. He served Saul and was in close relationship with King Saul. He became King Saul's right-hand man, particularly when it came to the Philistines. David was a Philistine slayer. We know this because who did he kill? Goliath. But not only did he kill Goliath, he killed a lot of men. And do you remember what David did? I just wanted to do this so Becky, because Becky, I'm, I'm doing this for you, Becky, out there. You know where I'm going with this. What, what, did, what did David have to do to get his first wife? He needed a hundred. I didn't say it, Becky. Someone else said it. He needed a hundred Philistine foreskins. Say that ten times quick. So he killed a hundred Philistine men and did something to them that nobody wants to do and he carries them back and he gives them to King Saul so that he can marry King Saul's daughter. David kills Philistines, or he used to. But now, now he's no longer the general. Now he's no longer fighting for Saul. Now he's become king. But not just king of the southern tribe of Judah, but king of all of Israel. He is now king over everything, as we saw last week. And as king over everything, and as the guy who used to be the Philistine killer, he presents a new threat for this bourgeoisie empire that sits just to the west of him along the coast. The Philistines saw him as a major threat to their livelihood, their life, their land, and who they were. And so, what did they do? They attacked. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 15. I'm sorry. No, we're not. 17 through 25. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, that's all of Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it, and went down to the stronghold. I want to stop here because we need to kind of back up and remember, where's David residing now? He was in Hebron, and he was king over the southern tribes down there, but now he is where? Talked about it last week. He defeated this city-state of the Jebusites, and they live in... Jerusalem, very good, yes, very good, all right, now I know what your teachers feel like, (laughs) so he defeats this small band, this city-state, it was really a city-state of the Jebusites, and they lived in the place that would become Jerusalem, so David wipes them out and sets up his own city as his seat of rule, now there's significance of this position in this place, we don't have time to go back and look at the significance leading up to this in, in the history of the Old Testament. But this is a significant area. Salem is what it was called at one point. Now it's Jerusalem. On the outskirts of Jerusalem was the remaining fortress that the Jebusites had built, and it was a stronghold. So David, when he hears about the Philistines attacking, and it says all of the Philistines were coming, he moved to the stronghold as a position of power and strength and fortification. 
But then it goes on. Verse 18. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Raphaim. It sits southwest of Jerusalem. Beautiful valley. Jerusalem sits on a hill and there's valleys that surround Jerusalem. If you're going with us on the Holy Land trip, you'll see this. It's, it's amazing. You, you can stand on Temple Mount and you see all of these, these little valleys around you. And when you think of valley, you might be thinking like massive valley. These, these aren't huge valleys. And they surround, but just southwest of the city, there's a larger valley. And that's where the Philistines came up. It was a great place to do a battle. And at this point, verse 19, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. I think it's interesting that at this point, when his kingdom is threatened for the first time, and this valley kind of sits in between the northern and the southern part of the kingdom, if they are successful here, they can branch out and destroy Jerusalem and begin to take over all of Israel. This is a very strategic position. Now, if I'm David, and I know that I've killed Philistines in the past, I'm not inquiring of the Lord. I mean, can I be honest with that? He's already told me, God's already told me that my job is to kill Philistines. He says that early on when David's still just a shepherd boy. David's had his marching orders for a long time. And now that he's king, it's a no-brainer. Here they come. We need to go out there and kill them. But David doesn't. David stops. And he takes time to inquire of the Lord. Now, inquire here in the original language in the Hebrew can mean beg. But it can also mean to consult. So, it's not that he just sent up a prayer And then it was like, okay, yeah, we're covered because we prayed. He prayed and waited. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait if there's an enemy marching on my land. I don't have time for God to fiddle fart around and give me an answer later. I want the answer now and I want to to do it now, but, but, but not David. David inquires of the Lord and waits until he clearly hears God's direction. And so God says, yes, go up, for I will certainly give you the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Peretzim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. So the picture is, we get in this one little description, that you had the Philistines, and their army was arrayed in the valley, and here comes Here comes David leading his men, and they defeat him so badly, it's like parting the waters and rolling over them. I mean, think about that visually from seeing an army and another army coming through and just taking over them. If you're a fan of the Lord of the Ring movies, you kind of visualize that, right? And it bursts through like a flood. Now, we don't know what would have happened had David just gone on his own. There's a good chance he defeats the Philistines, but I know this. It wouldn't have looked like this. Because when God shows up, and when we wait on Him, He does things that we can never imagine. He brings victory that that is beyond what we could 
muster ourselves. And that's exactly what David's describing him here in verse 20. Therefore, the name of the place is called Baal Peretzim, which means, does anybody know? I couldn't hear that. The Lord who breaks out or breaks through. So they rename this whole spot according to what God did that day in that military victory. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. Seems like a significant little piece of information, or insignificant piece of information, but it's actually very significant. There is a balance here. You see, in 1 Samuel, the Philistines defeated the Israelites, particularly Saul. And what did they take with them? Not rhetorical. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, the power of God in His presence on earth. The, the Philistines stole that from the Israelites. They thought it was just an idol. But when they stole it, bad things started happening to them. So they're like, okay, yeah, we don't want it anymore. You can, you can take it back. And they actually settled in a town that was in between the northern tribes of Israel and the Philistines, and there it sat, and no one touched it. But the Philistines still controlled the area. The Philistines still had the ark of the Lord in their region. It was not in Jerusalem. There's a story coming up about that. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was out there. It was the power and the presence of God, and it was out there in someone else's land. And so when David defeats the Philistines this time, and they take all of their idols, they were like, yeah, you took ours, we're taking yours. It's a balance. And here's the thing. For a long time, the Israelites loathed the fact that it was set in the Philistine lands. It was a point of contention for them. They hated that they didn't have it anymore. They longed to get it back. But they didn't have the strength to go get it. But David didn't rush in and try to make it happen. David, instead, listening and obeying and following the Lord, waits and wins and takes their idols for them and says, you might have ours, but I've got yours. And we're not told in the Samuel's version of this, but in the Chronicle version of this, does anybody know what they actually do with these idols? They burn them. They take the idols and they make a show of like, this is how bad your God is, and they burn them. Your God can't even stop a fire. And the Philistines came up again, yet again, and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. They didn't learn their lesson the first time. So this is a second battle in the same place. The Philistines are lost. They go and they, they, they come back together and they kind of uh, come up with a new plan and they go back in the valley again to face the Israelites. And when David inquired of the Lord this time, verse 23, he said, you shall not go up, but instead go around to the rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself 
For then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. I want to walk through this because it's the same scenario. Now David's already conquered in this scenario. And he conquered because the Lord said, yeah, go handle them. Just go march against them. Now, can I say that if God's commanded me once to do that and the same situation comes up again, I probably don't take the time to talk to the Lord again. I'm like, oh yeah, this has happened once already and God's gone before us and he's done this thing, so I'm just going to assume he's going to do it again. That's, that's a Todd problem and I, I admit it. Like, I'm like all about the, hey, yeah, I know what this is. Let's go do this thing. But not David. David inquires of the Lord again. He sits, he waits, he consults, he begs, God, give me clarity. And this time, God says, no, 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 uh-uh. Don't do what you did last time. This time, I'm going to give you a little strategy. We're going to go around to the backside, and you're going to defeat them that way. But here's the deal. You're going to wait in the trees. Now, it says balsam trees here. Bacha is the uh, Hebrew word. We don't really know what kind of tree that is. But there are trees all along the backside of this valley. It's gorgeous. And they go and they wait in the trees. And when they hear the wind blow through the top of the trees, it sounds, it makes a sound that sounds almost like a, you know, what do they say when a tornado comes? The tra- a freight train. I kind of envision that, except it's like a marching army. The, the wind blows all through there really strongly. And I can imagine the winds blowing through the trees just making tons of noise. And he says that when you hear that, the Lord is going before you. Wait on God, he'll go before you. And he brought victory. It wasn't, it wasn't David, it wasn't his plan, it wasn't, it wasn't David's smart strategy, it wasn't, it wasn't David's strength, it was God who struck them down. It was God who went before. David was just an instrument in his hand. And he waited on the Lord, and the battle belonged to the Lord, not to David. And so he waited, God showed up, God showed out, and God showed off. And there was victory. And it wasn't David's, he was just obedient. And yet again, it ends with this sentence that seems so insignificant in a passing statement, but it's loaded with meaning when you think about what God does. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. That's moving west from, I guess your perspective, west from the battle and from Jerusalem into Philistine lands and there's a small town that's halfway between, between Jerusalem and where the battle takes place and Gezer. And it's a small insignificant town except it's where the Ark of the Covenant was. So not only did he win the battle there in the valley, he pushed the Philistines so far that he captured the area where the Ark of the Covenant was, the power and the presence of God. So what does this mean? I mean, this is a cool story, uh, but what in the world does it have to do with us? I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from this. 
The first is when we wait on God and we seek Him and we give Him space and time, He's going to do something that we can't do on our own. He's going to vindicate Himself. He's going to win. He was patient and He waited. It was years that the Ark of the Covenant set somewhere else. But in the end, God wins. In the end, His power comes through. It might feel like He's losing. It might feel like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It might feel like God doesn't have a voice anymore. But God is always moving and God is always working and God always wins. The Philistines thought, we're more powerful, we've got their ark. They're a nobody. They're just this weird group of people that live out there in the desert. But God shows up and he does things. If we just wait, here's the thing. God always wins in your life too if you wait and you allow him to work and if you're willing to consult him. That's the first thing I think we learn from this. But the, th- the second thing I think we learn from this is that the battle belongs to the Lord. That when we try to take it on ourselves, we will fail. When we try to do it and make it happen ourselves, we don't have the strength or the fortitude or the wisdom or the power. I mean, David, had he gone out to that battle the second time, the way he did the first time, the Israelites would have been defeated. But God does something different, and the the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not your battle. It's His battle. But too often in our life, we choose our battle, and we choose our direction, we choose our path, and when we do that, we negate what God wants to do. And we take the battle from His hands, and we hold on to it. But even in the thick of the battle, David waits For the sound of the wind through the trees, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord and He goes before. So I don't know what you are trying to battle right now, but maybe you need to quit battling and you need to let the Lord do the battling for you. Maybe you've been pushing and prying and trying and your effort's not getting you anywhere and it won't. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. He's the one that brings victory. I don't know if either of those things are things you need to hear today. But if not, put them in your mind. Let them grow in your heart. God always wins. And the battle belongs to him. Our part is to ask and to wait and to be used by him. God has a sense of humor and impeccable timing. I think it's pretty comical 
that for all their striving and all their all of their showiness and all of their desire to show that they were powerful and strong and they could defeat and they could take back and they could go and get the ark, the northern tribes of Israel under Saul never could do what God alone could do. He had to look at them and laugh. What are you doing? You're running up against, you're like running your head into a wall. But David understood that if he waits on the Lord and he allows battle to belong to the Lord, something good's going to happen. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.